welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Once a year, we come and we talk about money, we talk about stewardship, and we talk about life in this context. And so I've invited a guest today, which I'm really excited to have here today. He's part of the um, NUMA Church staff, which uh, are our partner church, if you like. They're friends of ours, Pastor Corey and Simone Turner. Um, I wanna say down there on Bridge Road, but the truth is they've got locations all over the place. Um, but he's part of their teaching staff there and uh, he's gonna be an amazing blessing today. You say, how do you know that? Because I've stalked him online and uh, I've invited him to come and speak a specific message today, which he obliged, which was wonderful. And uh, so we're gonna talk about tithing and giving and finance today. Um, and so you're ready for that? I want you to get your notepads out. When you get your phones out, rebuke the spirit of social media, young people, open the app, uh, the note application, get ready to write some things down. Young people, all people, let's be honest. Um, but come on, can we just stand to our feet and just welcome Pastor Dr. Michael here today. Thank you very much. Please take your seats. Pastor Matt, is your water. Well, it's great to be here. This is my first time here. I'll try not to muck it up so I get an invite back. That's it. Um, let me just uh, open this up. And... All righty. Well... <clears throat> Uh, at the end of last year, when we were preparing our stewardship series, so we planned a year ahead. At the end of last year, when we were planning uh, our stewardship series, which we finished just a couple of weeks ago at, uh, uh, at Numa Church. We were looking for a resource, so being a teaching church, I'm the teaching pastor there. Uh, being a teaching church, we want to put resources into our church's hands so they learn from the Scriptures. So Pastor Corey referred me to a book, said, can you read this over summer? Uh, see if it's going to be a good book for us to um, give to the church or recommend to the church to learn more about tithing and giving and resourcing and all of that. And so I read the book over summer and it was terrible, <laughs> really bad theology, but it's really popular. So I won't tell you the name of the book, um, but we, we could in all, in all conscience give it to our congregation. So it taught tithing really badly. It made tithing transactional. You know, you give to God and he'll bless you. But he does bless us, but we don't give to get. That's transactional. That's not biblical. But it's taught a lot. So we, we, we couldn't do that. So I thought, flip. We looked around, looked around. So I thought, okay, so I'll just write a book. So that's what I did. So I wrote this for us, but I brought some here if you want to go into more detail of what I'm going to say. Uh, today. So this is called Resourcing the Church to Advance God's Kingdom. This is my second book, the first one published. The first one was on mentoring for my doctoral thesis. Uh, it's just about to come out. What the Bible says about the essential practice of tithing. 
And before, before I actually get into tithing here, I talk about for the love of Jesus. And the first chapter is all about uh, discipleship. As Pastor Matt said, giving is part of our discipleship. Tithing is part of our discipleship. And so tithing is not about money. It's about a bigger picture, which we'll talk about today. But I begin with opening up uh, Luke 14, 25 to 35. You should write that down in your, in your, in your, in your notes, right? Luke 14, 25 to 35, probably the most comprehensive and strong and clear teaching about what a disciple is. But Jesus said there were large crowds that were following him, but they weren't his disciples. So he said, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your mother, father, brother, sister, even in your whole life. Was Jesus teaching hate? No, he was using a hyperbole, which is a, he was making a point by exaggerating. And he says, you have to basically love me more than everyone else or you can't be my disciple. That's a pretty steep condition, isn't it? That's the first condition of being a disciple of Jesus. So if you can't love Jesus more than everyone else, he said, you can't be his disciple. I wonder how many people left at that point when he was teaching the crowds. The next thing he said, if, if anybody wants to follow me, he must take up his cross, die daily, and for, otherwise he can't be my disciple. Well, what does it mean to take up your cross? Well, my arthritic hip, my nagging wife, my nagging husband, I'm a middle-aged man, I've lost my job. Well, that's my cross I've got to bear. Ever heard anything like that? Well, the nagging bit's really unfortunate. The arthri- I actually do have arthritis in my hip. Um, but I'm not a middle-aged man without a job. But all of those things are unfortunate situations, but they are not taking up your cross. So what does it mean to take up your cross? The only people ever told to take up their cross were criminals convicted of a heinous crime, a really bad crime, and sentenced to death. And they were told to carry their cross. To take up your cross is actually to literally... Pick up the cross, carry it to the place where the Romans were going to execute you on it. So when Jesus said this to people, no one was talking about unfortunate situations. Everybody's thinking, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to die to myself. So I unpack it here. And the third condition was, if you can't give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to give up everything? Well, in your heart... His initial disciples had to leave their homes, their businesses, their families to follow Jesus. Well, that's very unlikely. Jesus doesn't walk around here. He's not calling us to go to another town or to follow him here, but we're following him in our area. So how then do we give up everything? Well, the word give up everything means literally to renounce your material possessions. And the word renounce in the Greek is actually the word that says goodbye. It's full separation, literally means full separation. It's used in Acts about when somebody was leaving the church, when they were leaving, that was that, was that word, renounce. So you've got to, we have to leave our finances. We've got to say goodbye to our finances. What, is it, well, what does that actually mean? It means in our heart, in the same way we can't love anybody more than Jesus, we can't love our lives more than Jesus, we can't love our money more than Jesus. And so we'll unpack it here, and the second chapter is actually for the love of money. That chapter should put the fear of God in us. So it's all about serving God and money. 
covetousness. You know, covetousness is idolatry. If you love anybody more than Jesus, that's idolatry. If we love our lives more than Jesus, that's idolatry. If we love our money more than Jesus, that's idolatry. And the New Testament and the Old Testament is scathing against idolatry because God wants our heart before anything and everything else. So, Arresty, good to see you, bro. Here's a gift for you. Everyone else, you've got to buy one over there. <laughs> so that's the foundation for understanding what this tithe is all about. That we renounce our material possessions. We, it, it belongs to the We're stewards. Everything we have, we're stewards. We're managers. If you want to know what's yours, have a look in your coffin when you die and go to heaven, what do you get to take to heaven with you? That's yours. Your heart, your mind, any souls you help save, they're not yours, they're the Lord's, but you know they make it there. None of our stuff. Yep. It's not ours. We're stewards of it. And so how do we steward it? Well, we have to understand that uh, the beginning point is releasing everything from our heart. And statistics tell us that most Christians love their money more than Jesus. Because most Christians in the Western world don't tithe. Now, if you don't tithe, there is no judgment or condemnation. This is a teaching session now for us to learn what the Scriptures actually say. So I'm not going to belt you over the head with anything. I'm going to try and help unpack what the Scripture says. And before we can get to tithing, we have to begin with a biblical story. I want to tell you a story. Not my story, not my testimony, not a story, not a biblical story, but the biblical story. The story of the Bible from go to woe in summary form. Because if we have to understand tithing, there are an awful lot of other things we need to understand so we can understand the purpose of the tithe. Well, what's it for? Why did, why did God institute it? And is it for today? Is it for the church? Many, many, many Christians today think it's Old Testament, it's not for today. That's because they don't read their Bibles really well. It is in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. But before we understand it, we have to see it in its context. You with me? Yeah. yeah okay, you're not leaving yet? Okay, you, you can leave after we take up the tithes. <laughs> so, what's the story? The story begins in Genesis chapter 3. The fall, Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, they broke fellowship with God and their relationship with God was destroyed and they were evicted out of the garden. Their relationship was broken. God created them to be with him. You know, in, um, in Luke 15, where Jesus talks about those three magnificent parables of lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, prodigal son. All, all, all in the one chapter, Luke 15. And every time it says that when a sinner returns, there's great, the angels in heaven rejoice. There's a celebration in heaven. Can you imagine the opposite in heaven when man first sinned? The heartache, the grief, the brokenness of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Word and the Spirit, because... Those who were his children, whom he made in his own image, had rejected him. And they were, their fellowship, their relationship was broken. 
So then God begins what we call the plan of redemption to bring humanity back to himself. And it was a sophisticated and a long process. So the Germans have this word called Heilsgeschichte. talks about salvation history. God working in the history of humanity to win them back to himself. Why? Because he loves people. He loves the people he made in his own image and he wants them back. God's jealous for his people. He loves people. And we know that he, he sends Jesus to redeem them at the end. But he begins with the call of Abraham. Abraham was the beginning point. So he calls Abraham through whom he would bless the nations in restoring the relationship. Listen to what Genesis 12, 1 to 3 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, became the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Apostle Paul, having understood the gospel, receives salvation, receives some download from the Holy Spirit, begins to write about this. And he says a lot about Abraham. And in Galatians 3, 7 away, we read this. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Are we of faith? Yeah. If you have faith in Jesus, it's talking about us. We are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, all the nations will be blessed. So in Abraham, eventually all the nations will be blessed through Jesus and through the church. That blessing comes with the preaching of the gospel. So he calls Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees, makes a covenant with him and makes a nation out of his grandson, Jacob, whose name he changed to Israel. He establishes a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai after he delivers them out of the bondage of Egypt. So now he's in a relationship with the people that he's bringing back to himself through whom all of the nations of the world, all of the Gentiles, he wanted to be reconciled through them. Were you with me? So as a result of establishing a covenant, he establishes a house. And we have to understand there's the call, there's a plan of salvation, there's the people of God, and then there's a house. His house through whom the people of God are nurtured and trained and shepherded. And then in that house, he develops a priesthood called the Levitical priesthood in order to enable the people of God to maintain ritual purity so that they can walk in line with the covenant and walk with him and walking with him, they will be a blessing to the world. That was the purpose of the people of God. That was the purpose of the house of God. And that was the purpose of the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. So he calls Levi, the tribe of Levi. Aaron was the the leader at the time. 
that they, the, the tribal leader, he becomes the high, first high priest, his sons become priests, and everyone else in the tribe of Levi become Levitical priests, servants in the house of God. And so he carves them off. He separates them from all the others. He consecrates them, separates them. New Testament word, he sanctifies them. He, he calls them out and separates them and he designates roles for them in the house so they can serve him, serve the people. You with me? So having established a priesthood and understanding that they were going to shortly enter into the promised land. It was 40 years later. They could have gone in straight away, but they didn't believe. So they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And one year for every day, the 12 spies were in the promised land. And then finally, they went into the promised land under leadership of Joshua. In anticipating the promised land that God was going to give them, he says to, to Moses and the people of God, as, and he enshrines this in the law, that when they go into the promised land and they divvy up the land, all of the other 11 tribes get a portion of the land, but not the Levites. The Levites were forbidden from owning any land. They were given houses to live in. You've got to live somewhere. You've got to go home at night and sleep. Then you've got to go back to work but they were given no land. Their land was their business. Sheep, cattle, goats, corn, wheat, fruit trees, olive trees. That was their inheritance, but not the Levites. They were not to work out in the field. They were not to have a business. They were separated and designated and consecrated to work in God's house because God has a plan. You with me? So this is where the tithe was instituted. The 11 tribes, as they went to the promised land, they worked the field and God blessed them because as they walked with God, they expected God's blessing and they had God's blessing. From the 11 tribes, God required from them one-tenth of their annual income. He actually required two, two tenths. They actually paid three different tithes, but they paid two tithes annually. So the Hebrews paid 20% to the Lord every year. So they, they lived off 80%. We, we want to live off 100% and just tip God every now and again. Maybe not you. I don't, I don't know whether you tithe or not. But that's generally what happens in the Western church. So the 11 tribes at harvest time, when the calves were born, the sheep were born, the goats were born, the trees bore their fruit, the crops came in and harvested. One-tenth of that they gave to the Lord so that the Lord could pay the workers in the house because they couldn't go out to earn a living. But the house still had to function. And it could only function if they were supported. So we have to understand that there were four iterations or four um, configurations or four types of the house of God from Genesis to Revelation. The house of God continues on. It changed and morphed a little bit. It began with the tabernacle under Moses' leadership. We, we learn about this uh, from, um, 
from Mount Sinai. It's part of the law. And then they built the temple under Moses' leadership, under Solomon's leadership. And then after it was destroyed and they went into captivity in Babylon, some uh, nearly a thousand years later, they came back and they rebuilt it under Nehemiah's leadership. So the tabernacle, the temple, and then out of the Babylonian captivity in the 6th century BC came what we now know as the synagogues. They were local houses because they didn't have a a temple in Babylon. They started with uh, little smaller type synagogues, little houses of prayer, house of worship, house of teaching, and they continued on after they came back. So in the days of Jesus and the apostles in the early church, we see synagogues, and there are synagogues still today. And then the fourth iteration of the house of God is what we understand now as the church. So Jesus built the church and he's still building the church. So in, throughout the scriptures, we see that the tabernacle, the, the workers in the house and the tabernacle were supported by the tithes. The workers in the temple were supported by the tithes. In the days of Jesus, we know the supporters, the, the workers in the synagogues were supported by the tithes. It makes sense that the workers in the house of God continue to be supported from the tithes because it's the same thing. The first three houses of God and the people in those eras failed to do what God established as his plan and his purpose of redemption with Abraham. They never revealed God to the world. They were too busy with their own idols and idolatry and they they walked away. So, once again, the church has to be understood as the people of God on mission with him. When we talk about the theology of church, we often define church by its its governance. You know, well, we're a Presbyterian church, we have eldership, or, or we're a congregational government like a Baptist or a Church of Christ, or we're a hierarchical church like the Catholics or the Salvation Army. We're a Pentecostal church. How, how do we define ourselves? Well, we define ourselves often by our leadership and our structure, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible defines us by our nature. We're the people of God on mission with him. That is the only thing God is interested in. The only thing that God is interested in, reaching those who are far from him and bringing them back into this house, which is the church. Through the gospel he's given us to preach, through the keys of the kingdom, which are the gospel he's given us to preach. So when the church doesn't tithe, and we'll get to the scriptures in a moment so you understand from what the the word of God says. When the church doesn't tithe, it denies its identity as the people of God on mission with him and becomes either a supermarket where the mindset is, what can I get out of it? Or a theatre where I come and listen and I watch and I go. Instead of the body of Christ, where each of us has a role and responsibility. That's a strong statement, isn't it? You still with me? Have you ever heard anyone say, or you may have said it yourself, oh, I didn't get anything out of worship today? I see those smiles. We've, We've heard someone say that, haven't we? It's a terrible thing to say. It's like saying, oh, I didn't get anything out of the offering this week exactly the same 
Worship is something we give. Worship, we're not supposed to get anything out of worship. But when we do worship from the heart, well, we, we get something pretty good, don't we? That closeness and intimacy with God. And we're supposed to give it to him. Tithing is giving to him. Worship is giving to him. We're not a supermarket. Oh, I don't like the children's ministry. They're going to go somewhere else down the road where they've got to, you know. Well, if they don't have a children's ministry, they start one. Build the church. If you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to do what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? Build his church. It's the only thing he's building. It's the only thing that's going to be standing when he comes back, the church. So we all have a role and responsibility. We all have, so this is for all of us, not just for those who are well-to-do. Every single one of us are called to tithe. And I'll talk about what that looks like biblically in a moment. So that God can pay his workers so that the church can function. People can be shepherded. The fivefold can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What ministry? The ministry in the house. We all have spiritual gifts. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have spiritual gifts, which means we have a ministry to one another, every single one of us. But on average, about 10 or 20% of a congregation is involved in serving. But every one of us should be involved in serving because every one of us has spiritual gifts with which to serve, to build up everyone else. We also have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what's that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that. The ministry of reconciliation is taking the gospel and ministering the gospel to people to reconcile them back to the Father through Jesus Christ. Every one of us has that ministry as well. So the fivefold are here to equip us to serve in the church and outside the church. Shepherds and elders are called. So there's a requirement for us to provide one-tenth of our income so God can support the workers in his house. Each one of us are called to participate in the community. You don't participate in a supermarket or theatre. You just go get what you want and come back. But we belong to each other. Our lives have to be intermingled we have to do life together. We have to pray together, serve together, love together, build each other up. You know, there's so many one another's in the Bible. One another's is like us together doing it. It's not coming and going, getting what I can get out of it. And if I don't like that, I guess it's, it's doing life together. We all have a role and responsibility to participate in the life of the church. Do you have small groups here? Life groups, connect groups, whatever you call them? Connect? Connect groups, well, we call them life groups, so our, your groups, connect groups. You connect people, you do life, you pray together, you share the word together, you disciple one another, you shepherd one another, you strategize how to reach your friends. When one of you is in need, the group rallies together and helps you. That's what church is about. We all have, you can't, you don't, no, don't do that in the supermarket, do you? You don't do that at the theatre. You do that in church because we are church. We don't go to church, we are the church. Sometimes our language betrays us and we redefine what we understand church to be when we say, like, we go to church on Sunday. No, the church gathers on Sunday. Yeah. We go to this building. Yeah. So we also have responsibility to serve in some capacity. I mentioned that. We all have responsibility to evangelise. We're all part of God's plan to redeem lost people back to himself. The church has been given the keys of the kingdom. He wants his kids back and has given us the responsibility to do that. The Jews didn't do that. 
in the days of Moses, in the days of Solomon, in the days of the post-exilic community. They never revealed God. They, they never saw the world blessed through Abraham's seed. And now it's the role of the church and God doesn't have a plan B. So what does the Old Testament, what does the Bible say about tithing then? Well, because it began in the Old Testament, let's understand it from the Old Testament and then we will go to the New Testament. So you with me so far? You okay? You don't hate me yet? Okay. I just want to help you understand what the scripture says. What you do with it is up to you. So Leviticus 27, 30 to 33, this was part of the covenant stipulations that God gave to Moses in the law. Leviticus was all about Leviticus. What's the first part of Leviticus? Levi. How the Levites were supposed to serve in the house of God. All of the regulations and rules and regulations. That's what Leviticus was about. So towards the end of the book of Leviticus, Moses outlines what tithing is about. He says, every tithe of the land, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. So if you want to keep a cow back or whatever, because you, you, for some reason, then you have to take the value of that cow uh, in monetary terms, add 20% and then give that into the house of the Lord. That's what that was about. Every tithe of the herds of the flock, every tenth animal and all the past under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good and bad, neither shall he make substitution for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall, be not, it shall not be redeemed. So, you know, they would count under the, the shepherd's staff uh, when the, the sheep would come. He'd go, count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, pull that one out. And they'd next come up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, that's a good one. I don't, no, I'll, 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 I'll do the next one. That's not so good. Well, God said, they now both belong to the Lord. You try and rip off God, whatever the tenth is, good or bad, that's what you give. But if it's a good one and you want to give them a bad one, they now both belong to the Lord. You've just lost it. Why? Because tithing is holy. So then in Deuteronomy, we'll summarise some of these points in a minute. Then in Deuteronomy... Now, Deuteronomy was a book. Deuteronomy comes from two Greek words, deuteros and nomos. It's the second giving of the law. Deuteros is second, nomos is law. It was a second explanation or expansion of the law just before Israel went into the promised land after the 40 years in the wilderness. So he is explaining and expounding the law in preparation of them taking the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And in chapter 14, 22 and 23, he gets to tithing again. He says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place where he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, your oil, etc., etc., that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So what do these two scriptures tell the Hebrews and us about tithing? Well, firstly, it says the tithe belongs to the Lord. God designated, because he was the provider of all things, 
he determined that the tithe belonged to him. Our tithe, a tenth of our income, is not ours. As soon as we're paid, the tenth belongs to the Lord. Now, if we've renounced it, it's all his. And we get to live off the 90 and whatever else. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's not ours to keep. Secondly, the tithe is holy. Anything that was associated with the worship of Yahweh was designated holy. The tabernacle was holy. The Levites were holy. The people of God were holy because they were called to worship him. The garb, the dresses, the, the, not the dresses, the, um, what the Levites and the priests were dressed in was holy. The anointing oil, the furniture in the tabernacle was holy. Everything that had anything to do with the people's worship of Yahweh was holy, which means it was separated and consecrated, set apart for God's use. Like the Levites were set apart to work in the house of God, the tithe is set apart from the rest of our finances to worship God with. That's what holy means. And if it's holy, we can't touch it. Belongs to him and it's holy. And then thirdly, paying the tithe is an act of worship. The fear of the Lord language in Deuteronomy is the language of worship. When they worshipped idols, Scripture says that they feared them. When they worshipped the Lord, they had the fear of the Lord. This is language of worship. When we bring our tithe, it's an act of worship. We bring it. It's an act of worship. And so the people were to bring their tithes to the Lord. It was gathered by the people who served in the house, but it wasn't given. That people didn't give it to them. I remember years and years and years ago being in a, I don't know, the Baptist church or Church of Christ, where someone said to me, well, I pay your salary, you've got to do what I say. Well, I'm happy to serve him any way I can, but it doesn't work that way. You, your tithe is to the Lord. He tells me what I've got to do. Now, if you have a need, I'm happy to serve in any way I can. But we give to the Lord. Our tithe is to the Lord. It's not to the church, not to the pastors, not to the staff. Our tithe is to the Lord. It's an act of worship. And then secondly, the Lord, we need to understand what the Lord does with that tithe. Once we've given it, it's his. So when we, when, just the week before I did this session at Numa Church, we had a panel at the beginning of the first week of our stewardship series. And one of the questions that was asked was, uh, in some churches there has been a misappropriation of funds by the leadership. Well, what if we don't trust the leadership with the tithe? Well, the answer to that question is, has nothing to do with the leadership. Our tithe is to the Lord. If they misappropriate, let the Lord deal with them. He's well able. But we can't withhold that which is his simply because we think somebody might. And there has been in history pastors that have squandered the money and paid themselves too much and have misappropriated. That, that has happened. doesn't happen very much, but it has happened. So in some sense, that's not an unheard of proposition. But our tithe is to the Lord. 
We give it to the Lord. What happens then is out of our hands, we've gotten rid of it. In fact, there's a, there's a passage in Deuteronomy where they are told, uh, uh, Lord, we've given you the tithe. Now you can bless. We've got rid of it out of our house. Now you can bless us. It's in, it's in the book. It's not in my notes here, but uh, there's more details there. So we give to the Lord and the Lord gives to his workers. So in Deuteronomy 14, you shall tithe all the yield. Oh, we've read that one. So in Numbers 18, a lot of scriptures there talk about the workers in the house. Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear the sin and die. So ritual purity, maintaining that covenant. But the Levites shall do the service in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle, and they shall bear their iniquity. In other words, they they were responsible for providing all of the uh, sacrifices for the people's sins, as well as a number of other things. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of Israel that they have no inheritance. So the Levites, those called to work in the house, were never supposed to go out and work. Their inheritance was the tithe. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you, from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So the people tithed to the Lord, the Lord gave the tithe to the Levites, and the Levites tithed to the priests. So there's plenty for everyone. And you may eat of it in any place in your household, for it is your reward or return for your service in the tent of meeting. The word contribution there is mentioned twice as the Hebrew teruma. Teruma means to lift up. When they brought their tithe to the Lord, they were to lift it up on high. Now, you can't literally lift a cow, but this is the hard attitude of the tithe. We acknowledge you, God Almighty, our Father. The earth is the Lord's and all who dwell therein. Everything belongs to you. And here we bring our tithe, we lift it up, we give it to you, we worship you. We worship you. That's the picture of the tithe, the teruma. We lift it and we give it to him, acknowledging who he is, that he owns and creates everything and he gives us plenty. And we give him what he requires so that he can pay the workers in his house. Why? 
Because when the house works well, the people do what they're supposed to do and he can redeem lost people back to himself. So that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, we need to understand what do we do with the Old Testament now that Jesus has come? We call this, uh, the, the, the coming of Jesus, his death, burial and resurrection is what we call a hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics, my mother-in-law said, Herman who? One time. Uh, hermeneutics simply means interpretation. How do we interpret the Old Testament in light of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection? So we're not under the law, but we're still to obey the laws. Well, at least the laws that are reaffirmed. So let's take the killing of animals for the sacrifice of sins. They, there was an awful lot of killing of animals in the Old Testament for the sacrifice because they're, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, the Scripture says. Even in Hebrews it says that. So you take animal sacrifices, pass it through Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. What does the New Testament have to say about believers of God now killing animals for sacrifice? We don't do that anymore. Jesus died for sin once and for all. So we don't have to keep on killing animals for the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, what about murder? Thou shalt not murder in the law. Is it found in the New Testament, thou shalt not murder? Yes. It's, you guys read your New Testament? <laughs> you can answer me now. You can participate here. But Jesus said if you hate someone in your heart, you're murdering your heart. So that law is actually amplified and made more difficult. What about thou shalt not commit adultery, have sex with someone else's wife or husband? Pass that through the cross, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. Is adultery allowed in the New Testament? No, it's also forbidden. But it's amplified too. You can't even think lustfully upon someone in your own heart. So what about tithing? Is when you pass tithing through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, it comes out again and I'm going to show you how it comes out. Because when we pass the house of God through the cross, the house of God still exists for the same reason. So it's got to function for the same reason. So it's got to be supported in the same way. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 10, when he sends them out two by two, he says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Labourer deserving wages is part of the law, saying that you shall not muzzle an ox that treads out the corn. A, a worker deserves to be paid. How are they supposed to be paid? Through the tithes. Matthew 23, 1 to 3 and verse 23. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Are we his disciples? Okay, so this is for us then. The scribes and the Pharisees, he's saying, Jesus saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. This is in the synagogue. Moses' seat was like their, um, their way of describing their pulpit. They sit on Moses' seat. Moses was the giver of the law, the greatest prophet there. He says, when they were teaching, they were teaching the word of God. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Do and observe whatever they tell you. And they taught the law there. He said, but, but don't do the works they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. So knowing they were hypocrites, he said, do what they teach when they teach the law, but don't live like they live. 
because they say one thing and do another. And tithing was something they taught in the synagogue. Verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those of you, uh, those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they tithe minutia. Now, I, I, I cooked some fish last night. My wife made a pizza. I had um, heart, open heart surgery last year, so I had to, um, actually 12 months today, I was telling Pastor Matt. Um, I had a heart attack when Pastor Corey was preaching in church. And uh, I told him that. We, we laughed our heads off. You know, he caused my heart attack. Uh, he didn't. Uh, but so anyway, I've had to adjust my I, I, pepperoni pizza. Lots of cheese. Mushrooms. And anchovies. I can't have them. Too much salt. And the, the fat and the pepper, I can't have that anymore. So I do fish. I found ways of doing fish in white wine and, and garlic and ginger and chilli and a little bit of butter, and it's fantastic. So I do a tomato and avocado salsa with coriander. Coriander's a a herb. These guys, they counted a tenth of their herbs, a tenth of their spices. They drilled down to the minutiae of everything they produced and tithed that. Said, well, you should have done that, but you should have done the other as well. So he's talking to people who, who worshipped in the synagogue. They tithed in the synagogue. And he said to his disciples, do what they do, just don't do what they, do what they say when they teach the word. And part of that was tithing. So Jesus and the apostles were all Jews with a Hebrew background, a Hebrew theology, a Hebrew mindset, a Hebrew understanding that the workers in the house are paid through the tithes of the people. The early church, they were all Hebrews, they were all Jews. The Lord taught the workers deserve to be paid their wages. Jesus taught his disciples to obey what the Lord taught, including tithing, unless it no longer continues in the New Testament like the sacrifice for sins. And when Jesus spoke to the scribes and Pharisees about tithing, he was also talking to his disciples. So let's look at the last passage. Uh, The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul planted the church in uh, Corinth. He was their spiritual father. There were some in the church there that had issues with his apostleship. And so Paul, he talks about and teaches about tithing here, though he's not initially talking about tithing, but he says a lot of things about tithing for us to understand. He says, this is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Now here's Paul saying he has a right for support for his ministry. He goes on to say he doesn't use that right uh, for personal reasons, but he has the right. Now when one person has a right, means someone else has a responsibility. You understand? If someone has the right to be paid, someone has a responsibility to pay. There's no rights without responsibilities. And so Paul is saying, don't we have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? So in our travels, can't I take my wife along? He says, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who was Peter. 
So they received support from the church at Corinth. It says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who was called to refrain from working for a living? The workers in the house. Now Paul is now linking his teaching, his right to be supported by the church to how it happened in the Old Testament. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Well, the answer is no one. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Well, the answer is no one. Who tends the flock without getting some of the milk? The answer again is no one. It says, do I say these things on human authority or by using human examples? He says, does not the law say the same? And he quotes the law. He said, it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And he says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he put this in the law for them to make sure their oxen don't go hungry? No, so the workers in the house don't go hungry. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? So now Paul is talking to the church about the law and how they were to tithe for the sake of the workers in the house in the church in Corinth. Does that make sense? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Said it was written for our sake because the ploughman should plough in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we, ha- we, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And this is the principle of giving and receiving. We give and we receive. We receive and we give. So we, when those who give, who work in the house of the Lord, they have an expectation of receiving, at least enough to keep them sustained in life. Then he says in verse 12, if others share this rightful claim, other apostles received rightful support from the church in Corinth. Do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul's concern was that if they rejected his apostleship, they would reject his, his gospel. And so for Paul, it was more important for them to receive the gospel. But he's saying he has the right as the other apostles lived off the tithes. He said, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Who were they? The Levites, the workers in the house. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. Who were they? The Levites and the priests. He says, in the same way. Everyone say this together. In the same way. The Lord commanded. So now this is not a tithing is not an option, it's a command. That those who proclaim the gospel, those who serve in the house, should get their living by the gospel in the same way as the Levites did in the temple, in the house of God in the Old Testament. Those who work deserve to earn a living, whether they're farmers, soldiers or servants in the house. The law says the same thing. Paul taught from the law, applied it to the church. Paul had a right to be paid, though he didn't take that right, And the people had a responsibility and an obligation to pay. And he says, in the same way as the priests and the Levites in the temple, in the Old Testament, under the teaching of the law, those who serve in the house of God, in the church, 
are to be supported. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear. The most recent census that we had uh, not too long ago revealed a notable decline in Christianity. A notable decline in Christianity and there was article after article after article in the newspapers. What are the factors you think might have contributed to this decline? Well, two things that Christians today do the least and survey after survey after survey has revealed this, the two things Christians today in the Western church do the least, and I'm not saying it's it's you necessarily, but generally speaking, the two things that Christians do the least are tithing and evangelism. And the tithing is to support the workers in the house so we can power the church to do evangelism. That's the minister of reconciliation. And we need the fivefold, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip us to do those things, whether serving in the house or outside the house. Those two things are inextricably linked to the mission of God. And we are the people of God on mission with him, aren't we? Tithing is about being part of the people of God. It's not about giving God 10%. It's about being part of the people of God, part of the house of God. Uh, Ownership and participation is important rather than watching and receiving and not contributing. Now, should we receive from the church? Absolutely. Should we give to the church? Absolutely. Should we serve? Absolutely. Should we be served? Absolutely. We're family. We are a covenant family. We belong to one another. Well, you might be thinking, well, what if I haven't been tithing? Well, listen to what Malachi says to the people of God. And bear in mind, this is not a word for the church today. But it's often read to the church today. And we either say uh, the first part and bash people over the head, or we say the second part and forget the first part and we try and encourage people into it. But let let me read it out to you so you understand this. Now, this was a word given to the people of God after the exile in Babylon, after they had known about tithing for 1,000 years. For some of us today, it could be the first solid teaching we're getting from it. Probably not because your pastor's good in the word, but for many of us, this is a matter of discipleship and we're learning these things. We haven't known this in the church for thousands and thousands of years. Well, actually we have, but it hasn't just been, it hasn't been taught regularly as it was in the law to the Jews. So listen to this. From the days of our fathers, you have turned aside from my statute and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, teruma. They've robbed God by not paying. How can they rob God? Well, because the tithe belongs to him. So if I have something belongs to you and I keep it, I've robbed you of it. That's the tithe. So they've known that for a thousand years and they weren't doing it. For us, as we're learning these things, this is not a word for us. It's not a word of judgment and condemnation. I want you to get God's heart for his people in this. He says, in your tithes and contributions, you were cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. In other words, your whole tithe, not a bit of an offering, not a tip, but the whole lot, that there may be food in my house. For whom? For those who are 
consecrated to work in the house and have been forbidden from working out in the world. The workers in the house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And even though the Jews have not revealed God to the world, because they tithe, they live in a little plot of land in the Middle East, surrounded by everyone who hates them, been trying to kill them for a long, 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 long time, and cannot destroy them off the face of the earth. Because they have God's protection. They have God's blessing. They are always uh, sufficiently provided for Jewish people. They always have enough. They always have more than enough. Why? Because they tithe. Now, there's no judgment or condemnation to the church because this is not a word to the church. But get a, uh, there, there are things we can learn from this in terms of God's heart. So tithing is a matter of discipleship. We're following Jesus. We're in the house of God. We all have responsibility to support those who are called. Uh, I'm called to our church. I can't, I actually am constrained not to go out and earn a living. I could go out and probably earn twice what I'm earning now. I'm not, I've got a decent salary. I'm not complaining about my salary. But I could go out and do other things. But the Lord has called me. I, I, I'm constrained. I'm forbidden from going out. I have to, I'm called to serve in the church. And those who are called in the church, you know, there used to be a saying, keep them poor, keep them humble. Ever heard anything like that about the minister? Well, the ministers in the house of God were always supposed to have more than enough. So they can, didn't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from so they can serve in the house of God with all their heart, mind and soul and strength. So tithing is about discipleship for us. It's, about, it's a part of our discipleship, like loving. We don't have the option not to love other people. If we love the Lord, we have to love others. We're required to love others. We love the Lord, our God, with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Well, then Jesus made it even harder. Love others as I have loved you. Well, that's pretty hard, isn't it? What about forgiving? Do we have the option not to forgive if someone's hurt us too badly? No. There was a time a number of years ago when my father it was revealed he did some horrible things to my sister that caused her to become an alcoholic and she died at the age of 35 from alcoholism because of what my father did. For two years I was tormented and I didn't even know that I had to forgive him. Tormented in my soul for two years. I needed help. I need others wiser, older, more mature than me to forgive my dad. When I realised it was an issue of forgiveness, did I have the option not to forgive? No, because if I follow Jesus, I have to take all of the Word of God. So I had to forgive Him. What about blessing others, serving others, praying for others? That's part of our discipleship. All of these are commands for us to obey. And tithing is one of those things. But sometimes it's a challenge. 
when I learnt about tithing, I was a brand new Christian. I grew up in the Russian Orthodox Church and I remember being a little tacker about this high. Mum would give me 10 or 20 cent coin and, and as the big silver plates about this big were passed around, you'd hear clink, 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 clink. I don't think anybody gave any notes. It was all clink, clink, clink and I would do this, clink and I would put money in the silver plate. The priest had to, had to work for a living because there wasn't enough for him to be provided for because the people weren't tithing. And so when I got saved in a church, Great Pentecostal Church in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, I was sitting there and they used to pass these baskets, wooden handles and velvet bags. Remember those things? They were the King James Version of the offering bag. They passed them along and the anointing rose out of everyone. I saw people bringing wads of money out. I would put in a $2 note back in the days when there were $2 notes. Can anyone ever remember one and $2 notes? Okay, seven of us. And the rest of you, have, some of you have read about that. Now, I would put in my you know, $2 note, which is 10 times more than what I used to in the Orthodox Church. I thought I was exceedingly generous. And people next to I wasn't... Walking, but I saw. <laughs> Wads of money. 20, 40, 100 dollars. This is back in 1980, end of 79, beginning of 80. A lot of money back then. So how did I process that? Well, I asked my life group leader, I said, Bill, how come people are giving so much money? He said, they're tithing. I said, what's tithing? And he opened the Scriptures to me and I began tithing the next paycheck. I was single, had no bills, no mortgage, no debt. It was easy. For you, you might be thinking, I have no money left after I've paid all the bills. Well, it's a challenge for you then. But I can't tell you, you don't have to tithe. We're all required to, to fulfil all of the commands of Jesus. Remember going to all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you? And this is a command of the Lord. You might need help redoing your budget. But when we understand that the first tenth belongs to Him, budget the rest of the 90 and the Lord promises you'll always have enough. The end of the passage in Malachi where God says, test me, it actually means test me. And see if it doesn't work. See if I will not provide for you. But He promises that you'll always have enough. Not so that you'll be filthy rich. I'm not promising you're going to be filthy rich and live in luxury if you tithe. I'm promising what the Bible promises, you'll always have enough. You'll never lack for anything. And I've never lacked for anything. And I've been a pastor since I was in my mid-20s. I'm 63 now. And pastors have not, have not traditionally been paid high wages and so we always tithe and we have never lacked for anything we made the decision as as a couple when we got married that we will continue to do what we've been doing as singles tithing and the Lord has always provided for us and when we were stretched thin we would remove the tithe from our house first and we saw grocery bags put on our uh, front deck of our house uh, when we didn't have enough for groceries we had money put under our windscreen wipers when we had given away the last bit and we didn't have enough we always tithed and we never lacked for anything well I'm no more special to God than you are he's not going to provide for me and not provide for you 
It doesn't work that way. He, he's no respecter of people, shows no favouritism. He loves everybody the same, doesn't he? All of us. Can you imagine? See, we have a large vision in our church to plant 200 churches. We need a lot of workers. We need more church planters, more pastors, more staff. And, and, and when everybody tithes, we can do the things that God called us to do. But most churches are constrained because of the lack of tithing in the church. And statistics tell us that in the Western world, across denominations, across continents, across cultures, the average size church is about 70 people. And the vast majority of those churches, about 3 to 5% of those people tithe. And you wonder why churches are going gangbusters in the world. Tithing is really to support the workers. But we tithe to the Lord, He supports the workers. So the plan of redemption in the world can continue. So we can become strong. It's part of our discipleship. I want to finish this with this really quick story. Uh, if you ever, do you know Dr. Alan Meyer? So he, he's a man who led me to the Lord uh, back in September 79. He pastored Mount Evelyn Christian Fellowship for about 26 years, became Dis- Care Force Church, it's now Discovery Church. In the early 80s, not long after he became the senior pastor there, it was about two, 200 people. He grew it to about 2,000 when he re, uh, moved on to itinerant ministry. But in the, those early days, he taught the church tithing. And one of the elders by the name of Keith Greenwood came. And Keith was a market gardener, a Dutch immigrant, uneducated man. He said, Alan, if you pay me There's $300 a week. Let me go to India. I have India on my heart. And he said, okay, church increased in their tithing so they were able to put him on staff. He began going to to, to India. Thousands of churches have been planted since. Orphanages, Bible training centres, ministry training centres. And last statistic I heard was about 20 years ago. Over 750,000 Hindus had come to Christ because one man received the benefit of the tithe and went out and did what God called him to do. And coming back, he empowered others to do the same and many others went. And here's this humble market gardener was revealed to be a great apostle. You talk with him, he's quiet, he's humble. In India, he's a mighty man of God. Was a mighty man of God everywhere he goes. But because of tithing, many people have come to know Christ as a result. This can be challenging work for.